it. May I direct your attention to something quite extraordinary? Now, the Hunt Palmer Show. The Hunt Palmer Show on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Brought to you by Rouse's Supermarkets. Live from the Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge Studios. This is Hunt Palmer. Number two, Hunt Palmer Show, 104.5 ESPN, Baton Rouge. We're working towards the weekend, a Thursday edition here. These are brought to you by Rouse's Markets. Had a change here with the move. Rouse's Burbank and Lee now going to be my grocery shopping home. As I mentioned in the first hour, I was there earlier this week, and I think I'm going to stop on by there tomorrow because uh, it sounds like the wife might have some dinner plans for herself and some friends tomorrow. Unless you're in Texas, we'll be playing. I might be cooking steak for me. And they got delicious ribeyes in the back in that butcher uh, shop as uh, at the uh, Burbank and Lee location. So that's probably in my near future, thanks to the folks over there at Rouse's. Uh, we're supposed to talk to Joe Healy here in this segment, but Joe uh, couldn't make it with us today. We couldn't find a way to link up. He was being pulled in a couple of different directions. So we'll catch up with Joe next week. They do awesome work over there at D1 Baseball, the SEC Extra Package. Um, if you're looking for SEC best baseball coverage, he and Mark Ethers do such a good job. I listen to Highway to Hoover every single week, and uh, they do they do an awesome job of keeping up with things in the SEC. It's tough. In football, Like everybody plays one day, and then you see all the highlights, you can kind of stay with it. Baseball, you got a bunch of teams playing on Tuesday, a bunch of teams playing on Wednesday. Everybody's playing three games in a weekend. You can get lost in the shuffle. It's just hard to keep up with the league as a whole. If you're just a casual fan of, of one team, they do it for you over there at D1 Baseball. And so I, I wanted to spend our time today with Joe talking about his thoughts on some of the aces in the Southeastern Conference two, through two weeks. We know, I mean, two week, two years ago at this point, Blake Money was LSU's ace, and it looked great in the process. And we know what happened that year. Mikhail Hilliard and Ty Floyd ended up kind of taking that mantle. Um, but it's early, and I wanted kind of his thoughts, but I've got some of my own that I wrote down here to kind of get into the conversation. So I'll give you my thoughts on some of the aces, and I'm just going to boil it down to the ones that LSU will see this year at, at some point. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on a lot of the teams that LSU won't play this year at this point in the schedule. I know most of you to this point in the week have heard about what Hagen Smith did over the weekend. Um, Arkansas played Oklahoma State in Arlington, and Hagen Smith was rebounding from a real bumpy first outing. In his first outing, he they were playing James Madison. He hit the first guy, walked the second guy, or gave him a single walk. Either way, the first two guys reached, and the third guy hit a three-run homer. He threw 40-something pitches in the first inning, was lifted from the game. This is a guy that could be the first pitcher drafted in the big league draft this year. This is a guy who was excellent last year in whatever role they asked him to pitch in. He throws nearly 100 miles an hour, left-handed. He's fantastic. And two weeks ago in the opener, he got through one inning. He was a little better than that in week number two. Hagen Smith threw five innings against Oklahoma State, had 15 strikeouts. Beck, I know you were not a math major in your time in college, but... How's 15 strikeouts in five innings for you? That seems like a lot. It's a lot. It's the max unless your catcher drops one. Yeah, that's true. Five 15 times strikeouts three, right? in five innings. He finished his six innings of work with 17 strikeouts. Oklahoma State made one out in play against Hagan Smith, and he kept his pitch count relatively low because even with the massive strikeout numbers. That is one of the most impressive performances I have ever seen 
um, from an SEC pitcher. I realize it's early, but that's remarkable, and he is that good. He's going to be a handful for anybody who sees him over the weekend, and Arkansas's got two really good pitchers behind him in Brady Tiger, who has been there for a couple of years, and Mason Molina, who came over from Texas Tech. That's as good a weekend rotation as there is in college baseball up there at Arkansas. They've got to find a way to get things done as in, in a, on offense, but Florida's ace this year, obviously, you know that they lost uh, Hurston Waldrop uh, after last year, who was excellent against LSU in the College World Series, was great against LSU for Southern Miss two years ago. He was He's fantastic. Um, he comes out of the equation as probably their top guy, even though he didn't go on Fridays last year. Um, so what's next for Florida? Cade Fisher is next for Florida. He was... A starter sometimes for him, a bullpen guy sometimes for him. LSU saw him in the College World Series last year in the championship series. Uh, he pitched in the last game, incidentally, and LSU uh, knocked him around a little bit, as they did everybody that Florida trotted out. But um, he was hit hard in their opener against St. John's. He only lasted two innings, uh, gave up five earned runs, six runs total, uh, had a couple walks and four strikeouts, gave up three doubles and hit a guy in those two innings against St. John's. Not a very good start for him. Came out against Columbia last weekend, was much better. Um, five innings, 10 strikeouts, two earned runs and five hits against Columbia. is not sparkling, but the 10 strikeouts demonstrates how good he can be. And Columbia is generally knocking on the door of a tournament. That's Penn and Columbia, the best two Ivy League teams for sure. Um, and so a better outing for Cade Fisher in that one. A.J. Russell is kind of taking the ball for Tennessee. At this point, everybody kind of thought it would be Drew Beam, who has backed up Dolander and Burns the last couple of years. He beat LSU last year in Alec Box Stadium. Um, he was impressive against Texas Tech in their uh, opening weekend. Four and a third innings, ten strikeouts and one walk against the Red Raiders. Last week against Albany, they held him to three innings there, but he, he shut him out, struck out four I'm curious to see what A.J. Russell is. He he looks like kind of the next guy there. Beam's been pretty comfortable on Sundays for t uh, Tennessee to this point, so I think that's probably where you'll see him. The bumpiest go thus far for an SEC ace has been J.T. Quinn. If you weren't paying attention to this, Ole Miss lost its first two, uh, sorry, its last two games at Hawaii to split that four-game series, flew back to Oxford, and immediately dropped their first two home games to lose four games in a row. They responded and crushed high point the last two games of that series. But Quinn's been a concern against Hawaii. Three and a third innings, three runs, three walks, three hits. And just wasn't great in that game. Then he comes back at home against high point and was worse. Three and a third innings, five hits, five runs. Three of those were earned five walks in three and a third innings and six strikeouts. So 12 strikeouts in six and two thirds is very good. Eight walks is not. Six runs, eight eight runs, six earned runs is not. Ole Miss looks to have a bit of a starting pitching problem. It's early. Guys can emerge. In their national championship run, Hunter Elliott was an afterthought at this time. Delusia, Dylan Delusia was an afterthought at this time. Those guys became stalwarts and led them to the national championship. It's early. You can find guys. But just kind of a snapshot and what's going on? I think Arkansas feels great about their pitching. I think Florida feels great about their pitching. Caglione threw a ton of strikes last week, and he's not striking out a lot as a hitter. He's been very, very good. A.J. Russell's been good for Tennessee. And J.T. Quinn over at Ole Miss has not been very good. And I just I don't like what I've seen from Ole Miss through two weeks. And you look at the magical run that they were on 
two years ago to win that national championship. And you are going to hear me say this until they prove it wrong this season. If that doesn't happen, you're going to keep hearing it probably weekly from me. Ole Miss is very much looking like a program that lucked into three weeks of great baseball. Their national championship season, they were 14 and 16 in SEC play. Last year, they won six games in league play. This team doesn't look to have frontline pitching and is replacing a lot on offense and did not hit very much in Hawaii. They can turn this thing on and win the league, for all I know. But right now, I'm sticking to my guns. This Ole Miss team and this program is looking like they're headed for a third straight subpar regular season. I'm well aware that includes a national championship. But at some point, you have to look at those three weeks as the outlier and realize that program's not in very good shape. And I heard an interesting comment from Neil McCready and Chase Parham, who cover Ole Miss for Rebel Grove, and I was listening to their podcast last week. If Ole Miss is going to put all of their NIL money in the football bucket and go get all these transfers, that's great. I don't think Chris Beard's going to like it, and I don't think Mike Bianco will survive it. It's, it's about choices. There are only so many dollars in the coffers of the Ole Miss Collective, the Grove Collective. If you're going to shove all those at the transfer portal and tell Chris Beard, yeah, just go figure something out, he'll leave, and go tell Mike Bianco, yeah, just go figure something out, he'll get fired. That's what I think is potentially the situation at Ole Miss. I'll say for the third time in this segment, it's really early to pass an entire judgment on this Ole Miss baseball season. I'm just saying it's trending that way. And until they prove me wrong, that's probably the song I'll sing. Just to look at some Southeastern Conference baseball, uh, Joe Healy can certainly do it in more depth than I can. And uh, we'll, ch- we'll catch back up with him next Thursday um, as LSU gets ready for Xavier. And SEC play is right around the corner. Incidentally, some SEC teams with some quality opponents this weekend. You've got uh, Texas A&M's got a couple games with Arizona State and one with Southern Cal. Um, Alabama's got Arizona, Indiana, who's ranked, and Dallas Baptist. Vanderbilt is in Houston with LSU. Obviously, the Tigers are in Houston as well. So a better weekend as far as um, of competition for the Southeastern Conference, and that's usually the case. Opening weekend, you kind of play some patsy at home. Maybe that happens again in in the second weekend. You go play a tournament in weekend three to kind of see where you are. You work the kinks out in week number four, which is what LSU will try to do against Xavier, and then it's 10 weeks of uh, of the grind of Southeastern Conference baseball, and we're, we're pretty close to it, although next week at this time, I'll probably be telling you it feels like it's miles and miles away because the newness of the season's kind of worn off a little bit, and you still got two weeks to get there. But we'll get there eventually. That's uh, that's for sure. Let's look around the Southeastern Conference at baseball. Chris Blair, voice of the Tigers, was on the call for LSU and uh, in Georgia back on Tuesday. And he'll be in Nashville for LSU and Vanderbilt coming up this week. We'll talk some basketball and a little bit of baseball as well with the voice of the Tigers coming up next. The Hunt Palmer Show. ESPN Bet now live in Louisiana as the official sportsbook of ESPN. ESPN Bet's the only place to find daily exclusives and offers with your favorite ESPN personalities. They do a great job with odds boosts with Mike Greenberg, Stephen A. Smith, and the like. You can find some really quality angles on ESPN Bet. You can sign up today. New users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sportsbook bet. You can find all your favorite markets, bets, in-game wagering, cross-sport parlays, teasers, all the props that you can handle. Just download that app, put a little money in, make a bet, $100. 
comes your way. That's ESPN Bet. You can download today. What a play. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. In partnership with the Bears Lake Charles, terms and conditions apply. See you after details. This is the Hunt Palmer Show, brought to you by Rouse's Supermarkets. Tigers got a win in the PMAC back on Tuesday night over Georgia. Headed to Nashville, take on the Vanderbilt Commodores coming up on Saturday. Chris Blair, voice of the Tigers, was there on Tuesday. He'll be there on Saturday and he joins us now as he does every Thursday on the Jim's Firearms Hotline. Chris, how are you? I'm great, Hunt. You get moved in, you get settled, you get all the boxes put, boxes put away. The boxes will be put away, I think, by the football opener. That based on the the progress we're making at the moment, but that's to be determined. It's uh, it's it's an adjustment uh, for the Palmers. There's one room that's just all boxes. If we don't know where to put something, it's just in that room. So we'll figure it out. But it, it is what it is. I appreciate you uh, asking. I did get a chance to to check out the game uh, on Tuesday. A little bit of a uh, script flip there for the Tigers, who built a lead and then it got away but they found a way to make plays late. Yeah, we actually joked about it uh, going into halftime that you know we didn't know how true it would be, but we thought, well, I wonder how LSU is going to play with a, with a lead. Uh, and uh, as it turned out, it still ended up being a game that went down to the wire. Um, and, you know, the biggest concern, I think, going into halftime, hunt against Georgia was, you know, if you don't have 11 turnovers, you're shooting 7 of 10 from 3, you're over 50% from the field. I mean, that score could have been with, you know, seven, eight more possessions, that could have been easily 20-plus or more uh, a lead uh, for the Tigers, which was a little more similar to to the Arkansas game, which was way back when. But, you know, um, you still got to tip your cap to finding a way to win. You know, they pulled it out with a, with an offensive play against Kentucky on Wednesday, and this time around it was a defensive play with, with time running out and uh, Jalen Reed with the block shot. But, you know, it's much better to be on the other side of those one-point games when you win. Of course, they lost to Georgia by two in Athens. But, um, you know, I just think, I know it sounds like a broken record, but I've said it to you now for two or three weeks. Certainly over this last six, seven-game span, I just really feel like LSU has a certain blueprint that leads to victory, and they really don't have much variance. And, uh, you know, and I thought it showed up against Mississippi State because LSU is a team that has to play physical. I think they out-physical South Carolina. I think they were more physical and had more hustle than Kentucky. Uh, and ultimately, in the final four minutes on Tuesday, they out-hustled Georgia. But that's what Mississippi State does. And now, all of a sudden, Herbert's found a way to, to score 20-plus, 30 points a game. Uh, makes Mississippi State a little tougher. But, um, you know, a three-game homestand, you win two out of three. You got three games remaining. Uh, I don't know what the Vegas folks will say, but, you know, to me, they're all winnable games. I don't know who will be favored. That's one of the few vices I don't have. Uh, but, you know, still, all in all, I mean, winnable games. And, you know, when you look at the SEC standings, which I'm sure you have and you've talked about, I mean, there's some teams that have some pretty tough games remaining for the final three. And all of a sudden, that middle of the SEC could look a lot different when we head to Music City. No question uh, about that. What was your confidence level in Will Baker when he stepped to the line uh, down one late? Well, normally in the early part of the season, John and I bragged on how good a free throw shooter he is for a seven-footer. Neither one of us uttered a word when he got <laughs> to the line 
at the end of the game. We weren't going to have that hang on us, so we just let him go up there and 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 shoot the free throws. But you know, having ten points in the first six minutes, I think, of the of the ball game, um, and then just went away for a while. But if you're only going to get two, make it those two. So kudos to him for making them from the line. I'm certain you talked to Matt McMahon after the game and then uh, last night on the coach's show. Um, what does he have to say about the turnovers? Yeah, I mean, he's just some of it was uncharacteristic, you know, against Mississippi State. I mean, you had such a great game, an incredible stat line for Trey Hannibal, who, you know, let's give the guy a hand. He's playing 38, 39 minutes a game, and, yeah. and that's by necessity. And, 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 again, he's part of that blueprint that if he's not out there going for loose balls and, you know, diving into scorers tables, I mean, you know, LSU probably doesn't win two out of the three, uh, the last couple of games, but there were some uncharacteristic things where he just threw the ball away, did it a couple of times against Mississippi state. Uh, and then one time in the first half, uh, or in the second half against Georgia, but, but kudos to, to Trey, because right now he is the, the bona fide point guard for this team. And there's, you know, you got Mike Williams who can come in and handle the point, but he does much better playing off the ball. And Matt McMahon's playing with who he's got. And for Trey to have kind of a disappointing uh, game against Mississippi State where he had more turnovers than assists, you know, he got back to it uh, against Georgia with, uh, again, much better job of, of, of distributing the basketball. But, you know, I mean, they've got to cut those turnovers down. And, and is you know, the thing that's been different is – now, because LSU is shooting the ball much better over the last four, five, six, seven games, um, it's come down to you know missed possessions, missed opportunities to to put shots on goal. Whereas early in the conference race, those high turnovers resulting in live turnovers, which turned into points. Uh, a team like Arkansas can exploit you. Vanderbilt's a team that can do that with Manyan, who's a very good driver. So yeah, I mean it's a big concern, um, and you know that first meeting against Vanderbilt, it was one of the best games. They only had eight turnovers. They were a very efficient uh, against Vandy, and Vandy's a team that's really going to strive to be good offensively. Coach Stackhouse is going to design a, a really he's cutting edge with what he's doing offensively. But it's not a team that typically puts a lot of pressure on you. But you you go into you know Nashville on Saturday, which by the way is the fourth toughest place for LSU in the history of their time in the SEC. It's Rupp Arena, it's Coleman Coliseum, it's Bud Walton, and then it's beautiful Memorial Gymnasium. Those are the top four toughest places by record that LSU plays in in the SEC. I believe that. I've been watching it for, for 30 years for sure. Well, a couple things you mentioned there. I, people, I think, roll their eyes when I say that Jerry Stackhouse's offense is, is really good. It has been since he's been there. They haven't had any good players, and that's why I don't think he's going to be employed there very much longer. But they do run great stuff. It's just a matter of the, the Jimmys and Joes that he has not had. But you've mentioned Memorial Gym. I mean, how how different is that place? I've never been in it. I think a lot of our listeners have never been in it. You certainly have. What's, what is it like in there? They made it a little bit better uh, not too long ago because used to because the, the benches are underneath the basket, which I think a lot of people do recognize when they see Vandy on TV. For a long time, the coach's box was also under the basket. So, I mean, you know how coaches are today. Yeah. I mean, they're coaching every pass, every dribble. You're having to do that on the under end of the floor for a half. Now they've allowed them to come up the sideline a little bit. That makes it a little bit different. But the dimensions of the place are strange. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a big gap between the playing floor and the first section of seats all the way around the floor. Um, and, and it takes a little getting used to, and it's going to be interesting for me to watch Jordan, Wright Cause I thought Jordan did an excellent job in that first meeting hunt of not trying to force things against his old team. I thought it was one of his better games where he let the offense come to him. 
I hope he can do the same thing. It may be a little different going back to a place where he played so many times uh, in his four years there, but uh, hopefully he'll have the same type of uh, approach to the game that he did in the first meeting. Because goodness knows, you know, as down as many numbers as LSU is, I mean, you've got to count on 15, 16, 17 points for Jordan Wright. I mean, without that, you, you're not winning these last couple of games. Yeah, Jordan was next on my list here, obviously going back there. Pretty much best of both worlds for him, a, van, a degree from Vanderbilt and then representing your home state school for your final year, but he'll get to go back up to, to Nashville. I'd imagine a, a kind of an emotional thing for him. I remember Jerry Stackhouse saying uh, that Jordan Wright was the first signee he ever had at Vanderbilt, so got to be um, an interesting Saturday for, for the Baton Rouge native. Yeah, I'll, you know, without question, because I think he's very proud, as his family is and should be. Uh, for his degree at Vanderbilt, one of the premier institutions, in, you know, and certainly in the country, if not in the world, uh, and then to be able to, you know, have the career he had over a thousand points as a Commodore, uh, he was an academic All-American for the uh, for the for the Vanderbilt team, and now coming back and having such a great fifth year playing for his home state. Um, again, I, I know there'll be a lot of emotion. I'm sure that you know he's probably thinking of Coach Stackhouse too, with all the news swirling around whether or not he's going to stay or not stay. Uh, at the end of this season, but you know, this is, this is an important game. I said it on Tuesday. You don't like to use the phrase must win, but if you're hoping for any decent or good opportunity or any opportunity for that matter, for any postseason play, I mean, that destiny right now is held in LSU's hands. Uh, and who knows, like I said, if, if there's some teams that take some tough losses down the stretch of the regular season, you may find yourself with a pretty decent bid in music city. And then of course, as we all know, that's why they call it March madness. Anything can happen. Well, sure. You picked, pulled a double dip back on Saturday. The uh, first part of that was Luke Holman on the mound. He was sensational. What did you see from the big right-hander last weekend? Yeah, I mean, he is impressive. Um, you know, um, you know, I was asked earlier today who I thought would you know be on the bump tomorrow in the big game against Texas. And, you know, I'm sure we'll find out. And when that comes out, there'll be lots of you know opinions on it. But one thing I know for sure about Coach Johnson being around him enough, it's not about playing Texas on Friday. I mean, he... It's all about the long play for the season. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. But I, I think when you look down the road and you start asking yourself, you know, who do you want starting in, in an always brutal SEC weekend, week after week after week? I mean, I think, you know, Luke kind of stands out by himself from based on what he's done from sheer number of innings, strikeouts to walks. Because if there's been one thing that's a little concerning for me from both the other starting pitchers so far and even out of the bullpen is, yeah, I brought up a lot of strikeouts, which is great. Uh, but there's been, I think, a little too higher level of, of free passes. Yep. Um, and Holman's kind of the one guy that, at least in the starting role, hasn't done that. So, um, you know, I think he's, I think he is as advertised. And, uh, you know, the good news is, Hunt, and you would certainly agree with me, that, you know, this year, similar to last year, but certainly a lot better than previous years, I mean, there's plenty of candidates for, you know, a three-game uh, weekend, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But regardless of who goes against Texas, I know everybody wants to win that game. Jay Johnson wants to win that game. Uh, but whoever gets the call, it, there's a reason for it. It's not just because they're playing maybe the biggest team they've played all season because he, he's big about keeping guys in schedule. And even though it seems like SEC plays a long way from now, it's not. And once they get in a groove, I think he likes to keep them there. Enjoy Nashville. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Chris. You got it, huh? Thank you. He's the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair. You can hear him on the LSU Sports Radio Network. LSU and Vanderbilt coming up Saturday afternoon from Music City in Memorial Gymnasium. Well, football, when we come back, J.D. Pacquiao from 1-3 Sports, you know him from our show every single Wednesday during football season. 
he doesn't stop with football season. And Brian Kelly joined the hard count with JD earlier this week. We'll talk to JD about that coming up next. You are now listening to the Hunt Palmer Show. Discover the largest showcase of outdoor gear in Louisiana featuring everything from fishing and hunting equipment to ATVs, boats, and more at the Louisiana Outdoor Expo, March 15th through the 17th at the Lamar Dixon Expo Center. Register for your chance to win tickets today at 1045ESPN.com. You are listening to The Hunt Palmer Show, brought to you by Rouse's Supermarkets. Well, one day away from March, no March Madness, college basketball, the greatest time in that sport. Got two weeks until SEC baseball cranks up, LSU with a big one tomorrow against Texas. But you're always looking for that football fix. And over at the Hard Count, part of the On3 network, J.D. Bacall, it's always football season. And that's why we bring him on today. Got a few things to talk about. J.D., how are you? Man, I'm doing well. Doing well. Doing better now, man. It feels like it's a fall Wednesday. I can <laughs> I can almost taste the crisp air. We got probably like LSU playing someone awesome this weekend. But uh, regardless, man, proud to be on with you. Well, you chatted with the, the head ball coach here in Baton Rouge, Brian Kelly, on the Hard Count earlier this week. Those that want to check out the full interview, you can do it over at the Hard Count on YouTube, part of the On3 um, channel there. Um, your, uh, your thoughts on where Brian Kelly's program is before we get to some of the things he had to say. You know, I think uh, overall, I'm I'm really excited about the Garrett Nussmeyer era. Um, I think we've seen what he's been able to do in a, kind of a, a limited sample size, and I don't see the offense taking a massive step back even with losing Mike Denbrock. Now, the defensive side of the ball, it's not at all what LSU fans have come to expect, and I think the hiring of Blake Baker is, is important to try and remedy that. And then I also think just the fact that you brought in someone who, from where I'm sitting, uh, like he matches so much what I believe that fan base wants to see from their defense in terms of being aggressive, getting after the quarterback, playing physical, like everything that that Missouri defense was last year is what we're used to seeing a, a Baton Rouge defense look like. So I think it's a really good match, and I'm excited about uh, all the, the new pieces coming into the fold here for LSU. Is it realistic for the LSU defense to take a step, a significant step up towards the top part of the SEC? I mean, they were as bad as you could be last year, or you're just looking for a middle of the road defense in the league. You know, I think if I think to answer that question directly, I think above middle of the road, top tier feels like it would be a little bit more of a stretch just because of, like you said, what last year was. Um, I probably have some concerns about how that secondary is going to look the coming season and just kind of a need to see it to believe it kind of thing. But Hunt, the thing is like, if they're even a, a decent defense last year, is LSU not in the college football playoff? Or at yeah. least in that Atlanta picture at the, at the end of last year? Like, they were lights out offensively, and obviously you lose some great talent in, in Neighbors and Thomas and Daniels, but, like, I mean, if they just have a, a better defense last year, they're probably in that in that four-team conversation. Harold Perkins has been a big topic this week here in Baton Rouge. The uh, local newspaper did uh, a Q&A with BK and said he's going to move inside. He's going to play inside linebacker. It's something that we – heard a little bit about last year all of a sudden he was playing kind of your weak outside linebacker playing some nickel they've moved him around a lot what do you think about Harold Perkins playing inside linebacker full-time it feels counterintuitive to me just by nature of his size um my feeling is unless it's a move where you're like hey we want to get Harold at the inside linebacker position because that's what's important for the NFL and they need to see that like if that is a thought process and I don't know that it is um, 
I'd say like the, the NFL is going to find a spot for Harold Perkins. Like Harold Perkins is good at too many things, too good of an athlete, too ridiculous rushing the pass. Like there's a spot for Harold Perkins in the NFL and whoever drafts him will have a plan for him. Um, now how he starts the year and if they, you know, say he's going to play inside and then maybe by game three, we're talking about Harold Perkins being moving around again. Um, I, I do like the idea of letting him major in one position. To me, it feels a little bit counterintuitive to have him playing inside against, you know, some, some really, I mean, let's just call it spade a spade, some really physical offensive lines that are yeah. going to try and take advantage of that matchup. So you had BK on earlier this week. Uh, for those that miss it, you can catch it online on YouTube, uh, part of the Hard Count, uh, part of the On3 channel. J.D. was interviewing Brian Kelly. What were you most excited to, to ask Brian Kelly about? Um, I think just the, the first thing we asked him and the thing that I was most eager to ask him was like, hey, how does this compare to other year three spots for you? Like, you know, you're, you've only had, you know, so many jobs throughout the course of your, of your college football head coaching career, but this is kind of that part of the year hunt where coaches try to not make headlines, you know, like coaches tried to say the most non-answer answers of all time. And he was like pretty transparent in the sense where he, he said, you know, year three for me, historically, we have a lot of success, you know, and uh, that's that's saying something given the fact they had a whole lot of success in year one and year two in Baton Rouge winning 10 games each year. So it's like, okay, if year three is the year where you have success and the last two years were just the buildup, like I'm an LSU fan, I'm, I'm fired up. So that was a huge talking point. And if I'm an LSU fan, like I said, I think that would be really, really encouraging to speak so candidly of a team at this point in the year. You mentioned Garrett Nussmeyer. I'm curious your thoughts, and it sounds crazy because you know, Jaden Daniels won the Heisman Trophy, but when you analyze this LSU team, are you more confident in LSU's ability to pr- replace Jaden Daniels with Garrett Nussmeyer or LSU's ability to replace Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas with the seven guys that they've got? What's a bigger question mark for you there? I think the production that Jaden Daniels brought on the ground is obviously something that Garrett Nussmeyer doesn't bring to the table. I think the question mark for me is how do you replace what he did running the football and putting teams in a bind that way and commanding more of the safeties to come up and play against him running the football than you had guys getting open downfield. Um, but to be honest, like I don't have a whole lot of question marks outside of um, Garrett Nussmeyer. Like, and I'm saying it's a question mark around Garrett Nussmeyer is maybe even a little bit, a little bit harsh. Just the fact we haven't seen him play a full season as the guy just yet. But I mean, Brian Kelly was saying, Hey, what we've seen from Garrett Nussmeyer, obviously like the impressive parts everyone saw on the, SEC championship game two years ago against Georgia, and then he threw for almost a quarter mile of yards against uh, against Wisconsin. But then he did all those things with pretty limited reps for the most part. Like we haven't really seen him have a whole off season where the playbook is built for him and the coaches are giving him more attention. And so I think all those things factor into a lot of excitement when it comes to Garrett Nussmeyer. Now for the receiving core, I really think CJ Daniels is the name that maybe a lot of folks aren't as familiar with on a national level, the transfer from Liberty over to LSU. But he had a thousand yards last year in that offense. Um, I think he's going to have another big year at LSU. I think he's a, a tremendously well-kept secret for LSU. And so it, it's hard to say you're going to replace the Brian Thomas and a Malik neighbors. But even with that being said, I think they still got a lot of weapons to, to really take advantage of. Talk some big picture stuff here. Well, I've gotcha. Um, Saban retiring. I don't know if we've talked since then, but um, you look at Kalen DeBoer coming in, kind of that exodus. What do you think the immediate future is for, for Alabama football? Hey, no censoring of any press conferences. God doesn't yeah. swear, right? I mean, that's what I was seeing on Twitter. He's not, he's not cursing. 
So uh, <laughs> the uh, the immediate future is funny because I think there's going to kind of be this Saban esque roster that's still in Tuscaloosa. Like obviously the portal did what the portal does, and you lose a lot of high profile guys. But like everyone on that roster that committed out of high school is a part of a top two class. Now where they were in that top two class, and it was near the bottom, or if they're in the middle, or the top, it doesn't you know that's all a whole deeper dive we'd have to do. But the bottom line here is, I think the big question for Kalen DeBoer is, can he recruit the SEC? And that's something that you know it's not like we've seen him not do that just yet, but we haven't seen him have the opportunity to do that, and so. That's going to be the real, the real telling thing for me, and we won't get a tremendous gauge on that until that kind of saving personnel sort of filters out. So for me, I'm kind of like, let's give it two years and kind of form an opinion, hold it loosely. I mean, the SEC is obviously just becoming more brutal with Texas and OU. Um, the guy's 104 and 12. And so whether you're doing it at a Pop Warner level or in the SEC, like 104 and 12 is still really impressive. So he can coach ball without a question. I'm just curious how that talent acquisition side is, is going to formulate and how they're going to adjust over the course of uh, these next couple of seasons. So I would say he's, he's not Nick Saban and that's fine, but just kind of buy into him being Kalen DeBoer and uh, take the earmuffs off the kids for the press conferences. How much Ole Miss Kool-Aid are you allowing yourself to drink? You know, I'm not going to lie. This, this is kind of the fun part of the year where, you know, we don't, we don't really put restrictions on any Kool-Aid. We, we break it out of the <laughs> fridge. If there's any leftover, pour it in a bottle, make, you know, whatever, if you want to mix it with some orange juice, you want to mix it with the gate, like whatever you want to do, Kool-Aid of all flavors is welcome this point of the year. And I mean, I had that, that, that peach bowl was fun to watch, man. I think Jackson Dart's a stud and I mean, they got better through the portal. Like it, it's funny. Like if, if Lane Kiffin, this is a major, if we talked about it on our show, if Lane Kiffin wins a national title, how much is everyone else going to rethink utilizing the portal? Like Ole Miss recruits, what, in the 20s, give or take, every single year? And if they win the national title by portaling it on their whole roster from their quarterback to their stud defensive lineman, like, that's going to kind of break the, the four-minute mile barrier we all saw around what, what the, uh, the portal was in relation to winning a national title. So I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm proud of it. And uh, I'm curious to see what they look like here in the fall when they actually start playing games. Looking for your football fix? JD Pickell's got you covered. He's the host of the Hard Count on the On Three YouTube channel. Interviewed Brian Kelly this week. If you want to check it out, invite you to head over to YouTube and do so. JD, thanks for checking in, man. We'll talk soon. I appreciate you, brother. We'll talk again soon. You got it. That is JD Pickell with us every uh, football season uh, on Wednesdays at uh, at one fifteen. I think that's right. Um, wanted him to check in here as he's got some Brian Kelly content. And I'm sure a lot of y'all can flood over there and uh, and check it out. It's that time of year, a little bit of talking season here uh, as we get ready for a little bit of spring football. We got one break to go, one segment to go. It's a Thursday edition of the Hunt Palmer Show. The Hunt Palmer Show. Boudreaux's Electric. Boudreaux's Electric. Neil and Melissa, 40 years running the business over at Boudreaux's Electric. Their son Jeremy has taken over some of the operational help over there. Look, protect yourself from power outages. It's that simple. Whether you're a business owner that can't have the power going down in your commercial property or a homeowner that just wants that power up and running, Boudreaux's Electric can get you that Generac generator. They'll have it installed professionally by a full-time Boudreaux's Electric employee who's going to come over, use the highest quality in copper, highest quality in, in tubing and piping, and they're going to do most of that installation underground. A lot, take pride in what your house looks like. You don't want a big honking generator that looks ridiculous with a bunch of tubes and copper everywhere. 
You want it professionally installed so that it's aesthetically pleasing and gives you the peace of mind of protecting yourself from the power outage. Whether you're riding out a storm, whether you're evacuating, you're coming back from a storm where the power may be out, you don't want to come back to a 95-degree house with a bunch of smelly things in the fridge that have spoiled. No. Boudreaux's Electric can help you out with that. They've got their location down there in the 985. they got their location over in Gonzales. Give them a call. Check them out online. That's my friends over at Boudreaux's Electric. We are coming down the home stretch for the inaugural season of the Baton Rouge Zydeco now through March 31st when the ES1045 ESPN Baton Rouge team is out at Rouse's on Florida or Burbank. Stop by and spend for your chance to win tickets to see the Zydeco. For more information and to purchase single-game tickets, visit, visit brprohockey.com. This is the Hunt Palmer Show, brought to you by Rouse's Supermarkets. Shout out to the folks over at Rouse's. Awesome, awesome shopping experience inside the store. I love going in there clean. they got a great selection. It's great. I'm going to be in there uh, tomorrow. However, if you don't have time to do your shopping in the store, download the Rouse's app. You can do all your shopping at the tip of your fingers. Personal shop will go in there. Round up all your stuff. Set that pickup time. They will walk it right out to you curbside. As long as you spend $35, you don't spend an extra cent on the pickup. So Rouse's Always a great option. We're getting close to the weekend for all your weekend needs, watch parties, birthday parties, or just dinner. Rouse's always help you out there, and they bring you our Thursday shows. All right, Beck, take it or leave it. All right, first one here. The Philadelphia Phillies are scrapping dollar dog night this season. After multiple instances of fans last year throwing the hot dogs on the field and across sections in a food fight-esque scenario, you aren't surprised by this. Take it or leave it. Uh, I'll take it. I, I'll take um, it. You know, people never really cease to amaze me. And not that I have not been young and dumb. I have been young and dumb. I think probably the worst offense of mine uh, in terms of being a fan was probably in Oxford for the Terrence Tolliver clock run out game. And some kid talked trash to me. He was probably like nine and I think I yelled at him and told him to have fun at the Liberty Bowl or something. Uh, not a proud moment. I was like 20. That's not what you're looking for. Uh, but I'm enough to, to admit it. It's been, you know, 14 years since that. That's um, pretty tame, though, honestly. Well, but, I mean, you got, like, the Texas Tech-Texas game, and we're throwing bottles at other players. Yeah. We're chucking hot dogs. Like, look, I've been young and dumb, but, like, why? Why, why are you doing that? Just eat the hot dog. It's it's fine. Uh, just grab a beer. I'm, I'm amazed at the amount of people that get in fist fights at games. That seems like really avoidable. Maybe just enjoy the game and not get in a fist fight. I realize that throwing a hot dog is probably a little tamer than you know getting in a, in a melee yeah. up there. But uh, yeah, I just you know I mean when they when they egg it on intentionally, like the waste management Phoenix Open where they're telling everyone to get blindly drunk and yell all the time. I, I get when it gets a little bit over the rails. But just on a general like principle, like dollar dog night, that's supposed to be a really good thing. Just eat the hot dog and don't throw it at people. Seems doable. Just uh, just on a side note, when I was living in Houston, I went to an Astros game on Dollar Dog Night. Yeah. And uh, house the six pack. It was uh, it was not it was not the most enjoyable experience. No. But I was uh, I was uh, asked by my friends to to, to to do it, so I had I had to. You had to I had clearly. To I tried in that same vein. I tried to eat five bacon eaters when I was in college one time. Um, how, there's a new there's a thing that's on the internet now. The nine 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 challenge. Yeah. Nine. Uh, hot dogs, nine beers, and nine innings. 
Um, I feel like I could do that. Oh, you could do that. Yeah. Nine innings is easy. Yeah, I feel like I could do that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, but I feel no, like I could. You could. All right, moving on here. Daryl Mitchell will be LSU basketball's next member of the SEC oh. Legends Club in the class of 2024. Mitchell hit the biggest shot in, uh, in school history. Take it or leave it. I will leave that. Uh, Ricky Blanton's shot um, that sent LSU eventually to the Final Four um, bigger. But Daryl Mitchell's bucket um, against Texas A&M in the second round was massive, and it led to the Final Four run where they ultimately beat Duke and beat Texas and got to the Final Four. Um, they don't get there if Daryl Mitchell doesn't pull up from the, the right wing and, and bury that three late against Texas A&M. AC Law, I believe, in Texas A&M on that team. Um, he was awesome. He was the only guy on that team that could shoot it all. Uh, Tasman shot a little bit from three. Garrett Temple couldn't shoot it all at that point in his career. And Glenn made a couple of big shots, but he was mainly in post guy, and certainly Tyrus wouldn't go out there shooting. He was like the only real guard out there. You had Garrett Temple playing defense. It was Tasman, Glenn, and you had Tyrus. Don't forget about like, Ben Vooge. You had Ben Vooge coming off the bench. Uh, Darnell Lazar off the bench there. Magnum Roll off the bench on that team as well. Fun team. My senior year in high school, I remember I was sitting in my dad's uh, my dad's office watching uh, Daryl Mitchell uh, drain that shot, and I went nuts when he hit it. Um, awesome player, uh, LSU uh, legend for sure, and so I'm glad that he's uh, being honored at the SC tournament. All right, last one here. After just recently confirming that the college football play- playoff would move to 12 teams this season, Heather Dinich of ESPN is now reporting that a 14-team playoff could come as early as 2026. There will be 20 teams in the playoff by 2030. Take it or leave it. I'll leave that. I don't think they'll go to 20. Um, I'm going to reserve my full thoughts on the 14-team playoff for tomorrow's show. Had enough today that I I didn't feel like we needed to to hit it very hard. Uh, T-Bob and Jake talked about it this morning, and they kind of echo where I am. There's a certain point where we're doing things that I think are counterproductive. I do not think at all that going from 4 to 12 is counterproductive. I think some of the stipulations in this 14-team playoff with the amount of automatic bids is counterproductive. You're now going to annually permit teams that I believe have no business being in the playoff. I think you can do it correctly with 12 teams. And if you look at this past year with Missouri and Ole Miss and like Penn State, like some of those teams I think merit consideration. You start to bump a couple of teams down into the Big 12 with Cincinnati and TCU, I think we may have lost the plot. So I'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. I'm sure Matt will have his thoughts on it coming up today on AFR. That'll do it uh, for our show today on this Thursday, presented by Rouse's. Luke Johnson, first hour, if you want to catch that, you can catch it on YouTube. Luke, on, uh, not Luke on Saints, that won't get you anywhere. Hunt on Saints is where you can find our interview uh, with Luke Johnson. Dan Orlovsky and Dominic Foxworth talking about LSU quarterbacks in the NFL. That was at uh, an hour number one. Uh, my, my thoughts on LSU and Rice last night from Houston, an hour number one as well. Chris Blair, the voice of the Tigers, talking some hoops with us. And J.D. Piquel with his uh, interview with Brian Kelly was with us at 2.30. You can catch all that on demand, 1045ESPN.com's On Demand tab. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you find your sound or your video on YouTube, you can find us. So everybody has a wonderful Thursday evening. Matt's about to drive you home from 3 to 6 on After Further View. We're back tomorrow for Friday edition of the Hunt Palmer Show.